you doing? Hey, what's happening, baby? Hey kids, it's Jules Workman and welcome to the latest edition of Hi, How You Doing? We are so excited to have one of my dearest friends here today, um, the incomparable Trish Townsend. Trish is a rock star. She makes rock stars. She loves doggies. And she is a great Nashville native, one of the very few left. And I just, I've worked with her, but we're really good friends on, you know, on top of that, we're really good friends, but she is just an inspiring, she inspires me. And that's why I wanted to have her on, on the show um, to discuss kind of her aha, her hi, how you doing moment. Um, and I just want to talk about, talk about style, talk about money, talk about friends, talk about how, how life takes you down so many different roads as we do on every episode. So, I want to say, hi Trish. Hi Jules. And I inspire you. That's the nicest thing I think you, you do. said you, to me, other than you, that you love me. Well, there's both of those. <laughs> and you do inspire me because you have helped, well, just just who you are as a person inspires me. Because I just think you're a really good, solid human being. A. And that's what I like in people. Um, but the antithesis of that is sometimes you create things that, you know, out of people with design, with style, with fashion, and you, you know, and that's inspiring because you've inspired that person to be something bigger or better than they, than they were. And you've also, it's, you know, you've created icons through the years, um, with, with their, with their fashion and their look that, that matches their music matches their personality, whatever. And, you know, there's an art to that. And there's a lot of people that do it, but there's not a lot of people that do it like you have. So I, I think it's interesting, you know, like I said earlier, Trish is a, a Nashville native, which in the music business is very uncommon, to be honest with you. People right. come from all over the place, right? And, um, and we also have Tiki. Oh, that's my girl. That's my assistant, Tiki Barber. She is awesome. She shops with me. She fits with me. She calms a lot of my clients down when they're in their fittings because just having a puppy around who is just sweet and, you know, kind of in the mix of it makes people, I think, not focus so much just on themselves. They try to focus on not tripping over Tiki. She that's good. That's she good. will literally be in the middle of the fitting. Oh, Tiki, that's so cool. Yeah, so that way they kind of stand back and, you know, they're a little bit more, they're aware of what they're doing, but they're not so... Focused on themselves too much. Because it is about them. It's about them, but at some point, it's a costume, you know. It's a costume fitting. These people don't walk around that way at home or with their friends for the most part. This is something they do to present themselves for stage or for, you know. It's their job, right? Yeah, they have to inspire others to try to achieve something unique. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I love it when a, a girl that's got some curves on her embraces those curves because I love a curvy girl. 
I love to dress curvy girls. I think it's so much fun. Well, why do they you think, inspire more people? Why do you think? I think there's a little shift in that just because of the female's voice today. But what what do you think when a record label or a management company says, okay, you guys need to drop 20 pounds? And that what does that do to an artist? I agree with it on a couple of levels, mainly health-wise, you know. I, I just think it's harder to carry the weight around. Um, and do what they do. Do what they do. You know, this is, it's, it's a hard job. I know they get pampered. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and go, whoa, is the artist, because I'm not. I've seen right. it. They're pampered. They're taken care of for the most part, especially when they achieve a certain level. But from a health perspective, you know, you got to think about fighting off cancers. Eating healthier helps you maintain a healthier lifestyle inside. Right. right. And they're going to need to have that kind of energy to do some of the things they have to do all day. Like if it's a video shoot, some of those, I was on a shoot the other day that went 14 hours. If you've got to be mm. on and be happy and perform the same song for the next 14 hours, it's going to take some energy and, yeah. you know, you can't drink your way through it and you can't, you know, fast food your way through it. And I think also it helps with the skin if you're a woman or a guy because now with HD, HDTV, I mean, all the pores, everything starts to be so prominent. Yeah, yeah. you just have to, eating healthy and, and is it fun? You've got to change your mind to make it fun. I try to do some juice every day or something healthy every day, but I'm not going to be healthy all day long. There's some people who write down what they eat you know, every morsel that goes in their body, and they're very, um, I find it interesting because there is a chemistry to it. You know, yeah. it's sort of smart to do, but it's not for everybody, but I think everybody benefits from eating healthy, period. I think it just, going forward, you might have a music career for two years, but if you've learned some things for that right. period that you can take for the rest of your life, good on you. Good on you, right. I agree. So I don't believe in I don't believe everybody has to be a size zero to be a star at all. I find that to be offensive. Yeah. So after my lawn guys are here and Tiki is about to go to the what for. So anyway, let's let's back up a little bit and and basically go into the fact that you Graduated from high school here in Nashville. You went on to Ole Miss. Yeah. Ole Miss is a great school. Awesome. Yeah, I'm sure That's you easy. had a great time. And you majored in English mm -hmm. and business management. Business minor. Or business minor. Yeah. And you learned. Well, here's a funny story. Tiki, I'm about to be funny. So, um, hey, I went to Ole Miss truly in going to be a fashion designer and they oh, really? closed they closed the home at department that furnished that particular major my first year in and it was so traumatic for me to go from a church of christ school to a party school i was like you know i made it this far and that was so <laughs> traumatic i'm not going to go and change schools for a major i was like you know i didn't understand the importance of it nor did i think it would be important i think it was really I, it could have behooved me a bit had I gone right. to a school um, that might have taught me a bit more, 
about fabrics and certain things. And maybe if I change my major to interior design or something at that school, but they truly just shut down the fashion department. So that was sort of a bummer. That's a big bummer. But so then I had to realign my credits, and so I ended up being a. And I and I love to read. I mean, I've always loved reading. So I became more of an English major, so to speak, with BA, and and business because you know that was one thing my dad said. You can always use any kind of business experience. So I truly did go down there for that particular major, but then it sort of chopped my feet out from under me just because they school they closed that part of the home ec department down that was under the home ec department. So I just made the best of it and decided to stay there because I had some good friends going and a couple of boyfriends, and I was like, why would I leave all this? Absolutely. And I'm sure with your personality... That you were kind of the life of the party. No. You weren't? Mm-mm. Very shy. My nature is shy. Yep. And I went to a church or Christ school. I didn't have to make friends. Went 12 years. Didn't know how to make friends because I just had the same circle of friends. And so I basically knew scripture, but I didn't know how to get along with the other parts of the world. Wow, so that was a big adjustment all Huge. the way around, all the way Huge. around. So, did you join I, a sorority or anything? Did that? Yep, tried out. So, do you still keep up with any? Absolutely, of they're some of my best friends to this day. See, I think that's awesome. Too. Love, love. I think sororities, you know, it has its clicky bad things, but it also has. I mean, they brought me out of my shell. It, it was really important for me because I didn't know. I know two people. I, I knew two people when I went to Ole Miss. One was my neighbor, who was the only person that ever showed me, um, like an annual, that there was something other than UT or Lipscomb. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. And it was the the only, the only pictures I ever saw. Because back then there weren't um, computers, and that's right. There was no way for me to. We're really talking about the early '80s, kids. Dude, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I did spend very little time looking for a school and he came and brought that to me and it was a beautiful campus it had trees I visited UT for a cheerleading conference or something and it, I just felt like I was in a concrete jungle oh yeah didn't like it and then I think it was right after that he came home and he was in a fraternity and he told me all about these groups of guys and girls that I have one spirit and a little family and I was like that's what I need a little I'm going to go away because I've never been away from home and I was like I'm going to go away and I'm going to have a new little family unit and that's what it created for me I didn't date hardly in school when I was in high school well you guys you can't understand this because you'll see a picture of her if you look on the on the site but Trish is beautiful Mm. she is very very talented and she is Funny as funny can be. I know, but it took me smoking pot to figure out how funny I could be. <laughs> and I'd never had an opportunity. So, you know, you go to school, and it, that was opportunity for me to experiment and, you know, be on my own. I had the funniest dad in the entire world. His name's Tex Townsend. And, you know, living under his shadow, I just observed, you know, but then when I got to be on my own, it was like, oh, I can be funny too, you know. <laughs> You're right. Just you know, sometimes when you 
when you're in awe of your parent, I just love to just be in the room with him and watch. And speaking of tech, your parent, Tech's, yeah. tech he said to you, when you graduate, you need to have, mm-hmm. do what? Come home, because I'd been away for four years, and he missed me terribly. And I missed him terribly, too. I mean, he, he was such a, I want to say rock, but it was just, you know, somebody just enjoyed being around. There's not one person that didn't enjoy being around my dad, because he was just so easy to be around, so inclusive, bring them all in, you know, didn't judge, really logical and smart. Anyway, he wanted uh, me to come home and spend some time with him after four years of school, plus I went to summer school because that was just the fun time. And he said he'd get me a job. And I was like, whatever, I'm going to New York and I'm going to be a designer. And he was like, yeah, whatever. And I don't think he believed that I could make it there. Right. And it was also scary for him to think of his little dumpling going to big scary big city because back right. then it was a bit scarier oh yeah it's now. changed dramatically yeah so he got me a job in the international department at first american bank it was called first american back then and, uh, and that's regions now I think. it's regions, regions now. now yeah and i worked foreign like i was um worked on imports and exports initially and then i moved into trading foreign currency so I learned a lot about business being at the bank, which is great because I had that business minor. Um, but I really learned a lot about how to make money, uh, investments. I saw how rich people make money on their money. Right. Um, I, I was really having – I wasn't sure what I was getting into, and I wasn't sure I understood it at the time. And since I did a lot of literature – classes and bestseller classes and anything I could in English for my major at Ole Miss, I ended up writing a lot of the papers to um, inform all the other higher-up people in the bank what was going on and what was affecting the world market and what was affecting the yen. That's impressive. That would be so interesting. It was very interesting because, you know, you were... I was gleaning from Reuters or whatever we could, the little bit of things we could get off of the computer back then because, you know, computers were pretty new. And then putting it into a form where every week it went out to the the heads of real estate department, the heads of every department, because, you know, the world market affects everything you do, whether you like it or not. It affects it. So I was, it was really fun. Like even, I think at the time, President Reagan had been shot or he had maybe it was when they found a tumor or something and the market turned on a dime and so you know it was fascinating to watch that's when I started learning how important the bigger scale is to everything we do when we feel like it's minute it's all affecting us whether you like it or not that's right mm-hmm. that's right Look what's happening now Just yeah. with, you know. but what about yeah but it's not as it's not as pumped up and you know now it's different. Back then, you were just really getting the facts. I mean, the, journalists were journalists and non-opinionated. Now everybody has an opinion, and it's all very confusing. Bingo. You are so right. Same with fashion. Everybody's got an opinion. I don't care what your opinion is for real. I don't. Right. I just want the person who's wearing the style or the fashion to feel really, really good. And, and speaking of that, do you think with your English... Yeah. Do you think your English major 
influenced, you know, period, dress, and all that, if you read literature, did, do you think any of that came into play with, um, you know, how you dressed people? No. Or Honestly, I, I, I enjoyed reading about it. But, but, you know, you have to remember a lot of those novels and the Jane Eyre's and anything Jane Austen wrote, all that, didn't really talk about the degrees that these women went through or these gentlemen went through in their fashion. It isn't until you get from historical references that you see how freaking painful what they went through for fashion was. I mean, just... I mean, Unreal, like metal freaking corsets. Well, whether it's the corsets, whether, you know, there was an elastic. Right. You know, everything was drawstrings. Uh, buttons was sort of a novel at one point. You know, it was just a bunch of ties and fabric and wrapping and... You know, there weren't panties. There weren't spanks. No spanks. No bras. So, no bras. No oof. no maxi pads. None of it. No tampons. So all oof. that was just a weirdness that they had to deal with. It's just nature. Mm-hmm. It was natural. It's been happening for millions of years. But, it, you know, I think all that those guys and gals went through on a regular basis is lost on these generations, but it wasn't really talked about because it wasn't proper to yeah. talk about it mm-hmm. in a lot of these novels, you know? Yeah, that's true. It's just that... They, they describe things more of a passion. You know, you you understood the passion without having to talk about tits and dongs, you know? Yeah, that's true. You They, they were very... They have a little, little bit to the imagination. They left it to the imagination and you felt the heat without having to you know, today, like I say, this generation needs it all, like, spelled out and pictures and everything. Scratch and sniff. Exactly. What do you think going in? So, you were you were working at First American. Yep. And then what happened? Where, where did you transition where into? Where did I go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> where, did you, where did you go right? <laughs> where did you get that aha? Hi, how you doing? I am transitioning. I am going to start working with, with people. Well, I always dressed weird. Like, even in college, I always 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 wanted to be best dressed in college. I didn't ever get best dressed, but I always was intrigued by fashion. I still have a little sewing machine that I got when I was 12 years old, and it's the the size of my foot. It's so tiny, and I just, but I I made patterns out of paper towels, and I sewed my patterns, and I just thought I was a genius. My Barbies were the best dressed Barbies, and. That's like teddy bears. I, I created, but my grandmother, my mom couldn't sew anything. She couldn't sew a button on, honestly. My grandmother, both my grandmothers were incredibly creative. When I would go to Texas, no point in Texas is where Grandma Jane lived. That's my dad's mom. And we would go down there, and I just looked so forward to it because I knew I was going to learn a new craft. Because, mm-hmm. you know, she's a Western country mother. She raised eight children. Her husband died when my dad was seven. So she raised all those kids by herself, and they made their own clothes for real, you know. I mean, it was all, like, hand-done and whatever. All their, she did all the farming, all the, I mean, they had animals, they had crafts, they had, she had a bunk house just for the health. I mean, you know, they lived really, I went back there and visited not long ago. It seemed so big at the time, and it was so small, but that's, that's how she lived her life. But she made it, you know creative for the kids and great cooking and you know well, that's real. where you got a lot of that and, and then my grandma my mother's mom here was 
very crafty. Like, she's smocked. I mean, she really did sew on a sewing machine, so I'm really, I, I could kick myself. I, I got rid of her sewing machine. It was one of those you actually pushed it with your knee. It was amazing to get it to go. Oh, I've seen those. Yeah. I've seen those. I wish I hadn't huh. gotten rid of it, but you know, at some point you just can't keep trying to. You can't keep it. But those machines worked like a workhorse. You know, nowadays it's like if it doesn't like the fabric, it breaks and you got to go buy another one. Well, when you, when you, when you segued from the bank into styling, mm -hmm. who was your first client? My first client, I guess my first, well, okay, I'll tell you. My first real client was a woman named Lisa Foster. And her husband was Fred Foster. Fred Foster. One and of the most venerable, put together, um, Chris Christofferson, everyone. He was mm -hmm. a big producer in, in the I was publisher. her banker because when I left the international department, they hired me over at the music row department. I let, let, me, let me backtrack a bit. I left the international department I, I was tired of banking. I didn't want to do it anymore. My dad was like, please stay a little longer. Just don't. He knew I needed to go. And he's like, stay a little longer. And so I figured out a way. I decided I'd be a credit analyst. So I started analyzing companies. It was a totally different department. And I dressed weird. So they kept giving me the Music Row business models, like anything that needed to be streamlined or broken down. Mm -hmm. I would get the music stuff because... There was some of it, not a ton of it, but I looked weird, so I should be able to analyze that. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, because I wasn't... Talk about stereotyping. Even though I went to Ole Miss, I wasn't preppy. I mean, I was tie-dyeing it, Ole Miss. I mean, I was right. the antithesis of what was preppy. Um, that first year, I tried to monogram stuff, and I'm like, I don't even understand this stuff. So anyway, change. it's just, it's either in you or it's not. Right. So it's been in me for forever, but... Um, so anyway... They gave me the weird stuff. And then I start, you know, I was breaking down, streamlining, tree publishing. You know, all these iconic businesses that might not be around anymore. I remember we were doing Bat, was it Bat 21, a Jerry Reed movie. You know, we were financing, there were some people financing that. So we were breaking all that stuff down. It was really wow. interesting. Yeah. And um, so the music department hired me. To be there full time, and the the branch was on Music Row, so we had a bar built in the back. So it was happy hour every day at the bank. So at five o'clock, all the songwriters came out and decided to open up accounts around five o'clock. That's hilarious. That's it was so great. funny. It was genius. Very was genius. smart. And then very we, smart. you know, banks were very supportive, so we would support golf tournaments, and we'd have the liquor cart. Yep. The first American liquor cart, and here we would go. Riding around on our our golf cart full of liquor and mixers. Go first, Americans. That's that's good. So awesome. when you so let's go back to you've done some groundbreaking styling. Okay. Okay. I know what you asked me. First client, Lisa Foster, went to. Um, here's how that transitioned. So when I quit the bank. She remembered me. We became friends. She remembered my style. She asked me to help her when she was hosting a show at the National Network. Remember the Yes, yes. And I remember Lisa Paulson. Mm -hmm. She had a show. It was like a more ran in the morning, so it was a, a her and a guy named Dan. And they were all like the Kathy Lee and Regis of Nashville. Mm -hmm. 
And she asked me to dress her. I didn't know what that meant. I, know, I knew nothing about it. And so I went and I dressed her. And Dan, uh, I had my meeting with uh, Alan Reed was the producer. And they hired me. They loved what I did. Went really well. And then they said, hey, we've got this cooking show. And um, we're hiring these ladies. They're called the Forrester Sisters. Oh, wow. Four women. One was always pregnant. Of course. Right. And so I had to come up, we would shoot like five episodes a day. Mm -hmm. I had to come up with 20 outfits for these women every day. So I would go, I mean, you talk about somebody that learned, I mean, it was like, wow, unbelievable how hard I had to, like, I would go. You probably shopped in Nashville and there probably wasn't a lot. It was all Nashville. Yeah. Back then there was no going anywhere. Right. You know? So I worked with Chico's and Cachet and really fine little stores. They were very helpful because they did it for credit, a lot of it. And, you know, all the girls were different sizes. So every day I would go pull clothes and return clothes every day. Go shoot. After the shoot, go to the mall, return, shop, come back again with 20 outfits. So that didn't... Scare me? Yeah. No. It didn't scare you. Okay. Because it would scare me. I was making more money doing that than at the bank. And I was at least free. Because, you know, when you're... I was self-employed at that point. So I understood that I worked better in a self-employed situation as opposed to a corporate situation. Many people excel in corporate world. I did not. Well, that's where... I think that's where you and I get along so well, too. Because we're not corporate... We're not corporate mm -hmm. thinkers. We're free spirit. I appreciate the corporate environment, but yeah. it's just not something I, I just don't conform to. Yeah, well. In Thailand, you can't conform anyway, so. No. And then, you know, let's fast forward a little bit to. Okay. So, Forrester Sisters uh-huh. led to them having an album, and they told me I could, I got them right 85% of the time, I think. And I thought I was a failure. And I go, no, because most people get us right 30% of the time. So, I was like, that was encouraging. Anyway, thrown into working with Warner Brothers, thrown into working on music videos, didn't understand a thing I was doing, but apparently I was doing something right because then Warner Brothers asked me to do Travis Tritt. So then I'm doing Travis Tritt, here's a quarter. I just didn't even know what was happening. I mean, I was just doing, I was going through motions because I, now remember, I'm on this fast, crazy pace of, Start in the morning, work all day, work all night. Start in the morning. You know, I'm in a rotation. So when they started throwing all these artists at me. I was like, okay, next one, next, next, next. And it was Highway 101. I mean, you can just name off all the oldies, the goodies. Because nobody was really styling back then anyway. So Right. And then when you started styling, did you feel like you were being dictated to at that point? Or what to no, get them? We or was it the, re- the reverse of that? Much more creative. So you were helping... From that, from the beginning of quote styling in Nashville, you felt like you were you were having a hand in developing their image. Absolutely, right. And 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 explain to people why that's so important. Because style is an extension of yourself. Style is an extension of your music. If if it, it's almost oil in it and vinegar, if if you cross the two force streams, what is that? When you cross the streams and uh, Ghostbusters and all kinds of chaos ensues you just don't cross the streams so you let the artist 
really where B project who they want to be. Because otherwise, if you'll remember, was it the 90s when there were hat acts and people who had never even been on a farm were throwing a hat on? Oh, yeah. Everyone and was wearing just, hats and they didn't even know what a belt buckle was. You totally feel it. I mean, it was just, it became so unauthentic. And I think that was a weird time for country because one thing about country music was its authenticity. You know? And then when you start trying to create it, you're like, we're going to make it country. It's like, well, then that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, speaking of, so you and I were really started working together in the nineties with Vince Gill. Oh, I love my boy. You're sitting here talking about the hat hats and everyone was throwing a hat act on Mm -hmm. people. Vince Gill never wore a hat. Mm -mm. Now, Explain that. I mean, I remember he was he was the you know perennial host of the CMAs for quite a while, CMA Awards, and it would be so fun to watch Trish and Vince getting ready backstage during the show. Chaos. I'll never forget it, and it still is a highlight on highlight reels when it's we went flying out on the stage with his socks on. Oh my god! And, I mean, you, yeah, yeah, Miss I mean, yeah, yeah, and just. Watching you guys work together, I saw, you know, as a PR person, which that, that I am, you know, I know how important it is to have a certain type of relationship. And you either have it with somebody or you don't. And a lot of times it comes naturally. A lot of times it doesn't. But the stylist is so much like the publicist, although the publicist has a different role, obviously, than the stylist, but your connection with an artist is so has to be so on point. Um, I explain it like this: I see an artist naked, yeah, and I don't just mean physically. Right, I see their insecurities when I get them alone. Like you know, they hear all the. There's all kinds of buzz in there. You should do that. You should be, you know, all the people that don't matter or that have these opinions that don't even ask the artist what their opinion is or how would they feel. Mm-hmm. I ask the artist in their raw state, it's like, tell me what you really want. And when you get them away from all the chatter and all the zzz, buzz, when you get them away, they really tell you. It's like, I don't do fitting. I try not to do fittings if it's a group. I try to do the fittings individually. Mainly because they're performers, so they're entertaining each other. Oh, you look like that and that. <laughs> oh, you look like that. But then when you get them alone, they're like, well, I really like what he was wearing. I just don't feel like mine is coming up to that level. Mm-hmm. So it lets me know that, you know, no matter what everybody else is saying, if this person's feeling uncomfortable... I need to step it up. I need to either find a new path for this artist or not. And sometimes you only get that one-on-one when they're naked, and I don't mean physically naked. I mean when they're raw, when Mm -hmm. they're telling you, I have always been uncomfortable about my stomach. Mm -hmm. I've always been uncomfortable because my butt. You know, there's something that they're not going to say to their PR person or their label people, that stuff they camouflage. And I see everybody without their camouflage. And then my job is to camouflage it properly. If yeah, that's right. If their tummy's their issue, I'll camouflage that. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. If their height's, you know, imbalanced or whatever, I camouflage it. If they've got a hammer toe, I find shoes that work where they're not completely uncomfortable and dying on stage every night. 
Because, right. you know, if they're not comfortable and you see there's angst in their face, sometimes it's not because they're unhappy with the sound, their feet hurt. That's my job. That's my job. Well, uh, let's segue into a, a, another female artist that you worked with. And that's, you know, Trish, Trish has been on every, she's been on Entertainment Tonight, People, Magazine. She's been everywhere discussing her role in iconic style and you could go look her up anywhere you can google Trish Townsend and, and, and tons of things will pop up including great spreads on her but she truly made some landmark moves in the country music industry and and developed an iconic look for an artist named Carrie Underwood and Carrie Underwood had just come off Winning American Idol looked like she had just walked off the ranch or whatever in Oklahoma. Not really ranch so much as just, you know, a young girl that had no style. And they, they, I guess the label or whomever thought that you were going to be uh, the force behind her look did, was, that was a smart move because she stepped up the bar in this town where that, that, that's never, it, it has never happened before. And you've got Carrie, who is now, has every designer clamoring to have her in their clothes. And a lot of that is due to Trish Townsend. So explain kind of the how that works, how that happened. Everybody got out of the way. That's how you make it work. Not, not every, you know, I don't make an opinion about what a PR person does. I don't make an opinion how the radio people do what they do. Get out of my way and let me do what I do. I'll work it out with the artist. And Carrie and I worked so well together for 10 years. It was really magical because initially she was with New York. Oh, and they had their opinion on what Nashville country artist should look like. You know, it's like, <laughs> come on, man. We're not retarded. We're not stupid. No. They were like, let's put her in a, let's put her in a, Red tank top and a denim jacket and some jeans. It's like, yeah, that's really interesting. Just bore me to tears. And you had a person, it's like, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room ever, but I was the smartest person in the room at that point because it was like, seriously, you've right. got somebody who's already mainstreamed that's a country artist. Why don't you, you know, let her just, Yeah. and she's open to do whatever. Let's let her be mainstream. What's so awful about that? Why are you going to make her look like everybody else? What's the point? She doesn't sound like everybody else. She's not coming from a position that everybody else has ever come from. I mean, it was almost offensive that she was a talent show winner. Right. So I just couldn't figure out. So anyway, she was with the people in New York, and then that just, it didn't work for her. Because also, nobody talked to her. I don't know what, I don't know what the purpose is of having an artist if you don't ask them and talk to them. How do you feel? What are you thinking? What do you have? She didn't like clothes, so let's mold her. She she didn't know. She hadn't been exposed, but she'd just flown for the first time. She'd never been on a plane until she was on American Idol. So, hey, let's offer her something more. Let's offer her, if we're going to, if, if if we got a clean slate, let's take that and, and make it interesting and make her glamorous and a little more across the board, mainstream her, not 
countrify her. There was enough of that. Correct. So all I did was just push her a little bit. She told me, you know, the, ask her, what, what do you want to achieve here? What, what's our goal? Um, what are my limits? And she said, I just, I like to sparkle, and I don't want anything that my dad would be ashamed of seeing me in. And I was like, good. And then we shall proceed. And we did. And you did. And, I mean, some of the things you did. Let's talk about the projector dress oh, on cool. the award show. How in the world do you make something like that happen? The Raj Kapoor is was the production designer, and he came up with this idea. I think I don't know where he had come up with it. I think there are some things wasn't far fetched. It had been done a few things, but he found it and then he put it into motion with the dress. I just had to create the dress. He created the. The visual aspect. Yeah, what was going on, the, you know, according to the song. and What award show was it? Grammys. Oh, it was Grammys, okay. It's the only thing they ever talked about after the show. Right. Nobody won except Carrie's dress. And that was really just trying to find the right fabric that could be projected on that didn't look like projector material. Right. That had some fluidity and felt very high-end and finding the right designer um, to, to design it. And um, a guy named Don who worked for Thea helped me. Don O'Neill was amazing. And he found this Duchess satin out of France. We sourced all these fabrics and we wow. tested them and tested them to make sure that the projection worked on the fabric. How long does something like that take? You know, we had, we had a good amount of time. We had like it doesn't seem like a lot of time doesn't to seem me. Like a lot, and it's not, and, and if you look at certain other things, but for back then, that was way yeah. forward thinking. And how, we had how to do a lot of was carried in that? Huh? How involved is the artist? Not like, really at that point, because she knew the main goal was just to get the projection right, so she right. didn't care. I had to make sure that there weren't enough folds in the dress. You know, there were certain things that you had. I had to make sure. Didn't occur that, so she didn't really stick her finger in it too much just because she knew that the technical aspect was something that she couldn't contribute to. Right. So that was me and Raj sort of working that out. Okay, so you take someone like Carrie Underwood. Carrie Underwood has become a fashion icon in our industry, and um, a lot of people try to emulate a lot of her looks, and you can see that if you go look at people's stage stage um, apparel, if you go look at people's award shows or red carpets, a lot of people have tried to emulate her since she came on the scene. And that is a huge compliment to her team. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people can't pull it off. You've got to be who that is. All right, so you take this. You take Carrie Underwood. Everyone, like, she's in all the magazines. She's in all the look, like, the lookbooks. Who was best dressed? Who was this? It's usually Carrie, 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 Carrie. Then you go to another artist that that Trish works with very closely. You got Blake Shelton. Now Blake Shelton. I've been with Blake longer than Carrie. That's true. Because we that was about two thousand. That's because we. Yeah, we we. I just I just knew you and Blake would just be so great together. We are great together. And you still are great together. Still. And me not so much, but you yes. And, um, oh, I wouldn't say that. Well, you know what I mean. So, things shift. 
But the one thing that hasn't shifted is his, his hatred of clothing. <laughs> exactly. He hates and, it. And he hates it. Hates and it. And, and, and right before Trish came came to start working with Blake, and she had to do this summit first until, you know, the budgets got bigger or whatever. Blake has long arms and long legs. Like you can't off the rack Talk about. Yeah. So we would be adding sleeves, adding material into sleeves on his shirts. And, you know. He had the long hair and the hat. Hat. It was like this whole makeover needed to happen to get him to this but next level. But he is honorary and, and really not very. Amenable to any no, of it. No, he didn't, didn't think anything needed to change. <laughs> but then you've got now. He's a multimedia star. He's a TV, you know, he's one of the top hosts of any TV show there is going right now. And he's so good at it. He's so good at it. He's just meant for that. Yeah. You saw it long before anybody else. I, I will admit that. You did. I did. I called him. Dang, you saw it. And I just, I'm so proud of him. But but, the, but I guess the point is, you've got someone like Carrie, and then you've got Blake, who dreads every moment of it. Hates it. Um, like, but you, like you get, you have to have everything custom made pretty much. I do it all right? now. I design, like I designed a lot of Carrie stuff too. You know, yeah. you just try to make it easy. The other part of my job is to make it easy on them. Like, you know, when you start out, they, they can't get enough of you. They just want to see you with try on clothes. I mean, when they look at you, they think posture and I'm going to get a lot of clothes. You know, right. speaking but, of but eventually, <laughs> but eventually they're like, Dear God, I've got to go see her. That means I've got that's going to take an hour out of my time, and I'm going to not like the way this fits and this looks. Blah, blah, blah. It's just it becomes a negative experience, right? Because it takes it takes time. It's not a, it's it with Blake. It's easy no. now because I've got his, that's right, Tiki. I've got his sizes down. I've got designers that work for me, and I just have it all made. And you know, if every now and then he doesn't like a shirt, you know, we get rid of it. Right. But for the most part, he appreciates the fact that he doesn't have to fit with me. His taste is simple. is not comp- complicated. I make it more complicated than he wants it to be. Because <laughs> he, he wears the same shirt every dang day to yeah. the boys. They call it the robe. Because he shows up in it and he leaves it. The rest of it, he doesn't care. He's like, just tell me what you want me to do. As long as he's not totally opposed to it. You know, he's tactile. He likes things to feel good on his skin if he's going to be sitting in it. He likes the waistband to be a certain way if he's going to be sitting in the red chair for five, six, eight hours. So there's certain things you do size-wise that you have one size for sitting in the chair for all day and one size for performing. I mean, you just make it easy. The money's there. It's not going to tax anybody and be super costly. And there's money there to get it done right. So that's what we do. Right, and speaking of money, let's go back to that. That let's go back to when the money wasn't there. With Blake, Blake or anyone, okay. right? Anyone. You get a budget. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And cool. usually, where does the money come from? Record label used to. Who knows where it comes from now? Right. Times have changed. It's so different. But the budgets, the the marketing budgets that labels used to have are not what they are today. No, nor does the care. They yeah. only care when you show up. They don't want to interject before they give you a little parcel of cash and then they're like and now we want a miracle and it's like wow I ain't shitting dollars today dude oh wait I shouldn't say shitting that's okay my bad I'm not depositing dollars in the <laughs> toilet today dude well listen let me tell you something 
I have been on that end where I've had to commission, had to help work with stylists, I had to create budgets for videos, photo shoots, and whatever. It is a hard, hard thing because you give the stylist, and you're always trying to work a deal. It doesn't matter who it is. The stylist is trying to work a deal with the store. The label's trying to work a deal with the stylist. I mean, it's... We're all bleeding for an artist. Correct. We are all bleeding to try to make it work. And we're all trying to do our job. Many times it sounds very unappreciated. And I bleed no more. Exactly. I cauterize the vein and move on. It's true. Is that on YouTube? But this is the thing. This is what I'm trying to say. And this is part of what this podcast is all about. It's truth. Mm -hmm. It's real. It's what we go through. Um, Whether it's... It all comes down to dollars. It really does. In anything. You know, everybody wants to look great, but do they want to pay for it? Depends. Depends on who's paying for it. Yeah. Do they want to use certain people to get the job done for free or for light charge? And then once they start to make it, go hire some expensive people in L.A. A lot of them are like that. And if they, they're willing to sell their soul like that, cool. I've worked with a lot of people like that initially and not made a lot of money with the hope, you know, and the promise that, well, mm-hmm. when I make it big, this is all going to come back tenfold. And then they make it, they find their contract, and then next thing you know, they're working with other people, and you're just like, well, wow, that was a waste. So when you've burned a lot of people in this business, don't expect them don't expect a burnt person in this business to come back to you fresh skinned. Correct. And speaking of burn, like you could be, you could be a, a label burning you the stylist, an artist burning you the stylist, a label burning the artist, you burning a style house. Credit card burn. Credit cards. UPS burn. Yes. Oh, that was delivered. What that eight thousand dollar package? No, it wasn't. Yeah, there's a lot at stake and a lot of money stylist, at stake. Most people tell you the worst job on the set is the stylist. Well, I've watched it. It's not an easy one. It's not easy. You're a schlepper. Yep. You're a psychologist. Yep. You know, you're trying to deal with husbands, wives, children. Directors, parents, producers. Directors, producers, managers. You know, you're trying to please a dollar, but you're trying to please somebody who has a million dollar taste. And it's not easy. It's really one of the worst jobs um, when you look at it from that perspective. But when you walk away and you've done a good makeover, you feel really good. Right. And that's what people think. Glamour, 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 glamour. Every night, all I dreamed about was shooting. So not only did I shoot all day, I shot all night in my dreams. Because... You know, it's just what you do. Your mind is constantly, if that's all you do. It's tweaking. <laughs> yeah, or it's like, and I and, and I have shot shoots, and I've not really gotten up on time because I'm like, oh, I already did that shoot, and I just think I've got the day off, and I'm like, I haven't shot the shoot yet. i got to go, you know. You're, or, you're living it, but you thought you had I've already done it. it yeah, you're head. right, yeah. Because I've got the, the outfits all in my head. I shot it. It looked great. And then, you know, you wake up and you're exhausted because you're like, going, oh, my God, I'm so glad that was over. And it's like, I haven't done it yet. And speaking of, you've had a great career doing this. You've had a great career. Absolutely. I mean, you are you are very I've blessed. I've been busy for 30 years. Yes. I mean, that that is something to be very the proud of. Right. So if you could give any anyone that's wanting to get into this business 
styling. And I'm not. You, oh, you, you don't want me to say don't? Don't. Okay. Don't, don't, say don't, don't say don't. Okay. Tell them what, you know, say, these are what you need to focus on. I mean, it's not, and you and you can give examples of people. I give examples of people that think they're PR people. They don't have a freaking clue what mm-hmm. they're doing, but now they're a PR person. So, you know, a lot of people think they can be stylist because yeah, they have and, good and, taste. And, you know, out of the thousand that think they can be a stylist, two will make it. Right. And why is that? Just because it's saturated. It is saturated. And you have to remember, back when I was doing this, people made fun of me because I was from Nashville. They made fun of Nashville. They thought we were hayseeds and stupid. Remember, we weren't even mainstream. I remember when I was doing Carrie for a Grammy, the first Grammy, and she and Rascal Flatts were only allowed to perform Eagle Song because they didn't really. I remember that. Everybody was livid. Well, they don't. Country wasn't a part of the music scene. No. And, you know, they kind of gave everybody a little flick just so they could get a little ratings boost. But, you know, country music was offensive mm-hmm. to L.A. Offensive. New York. How many times? I had, I was doing something for John Bon Jovi one time up. Uh, photo shoot and I went in like the Dolce Gabbana and different designers were such a who were more his designers and they were you know showering him with opportunities for you know placement on with some of the wardrobe and I was like hey I work with this awesome guy Tim McGraw he's awesome he's so great and Lee and Rhymes and Ben Skill and I was like you know you guys man I think it'd be great if you could get your clothes I was like offering them up I thought I was like opening the door for Versace or Dolce Gabbana to just say, I can connect you with Tim McGraw, Vince Gilly, and Rick. They're like, it's not our demographic. That was the first time I'd ever been told not my demographic. And then I started understanding that more and more, that they just weren't in the country. Like, we didn't have any money. And I'm like, we're probably a lot richer. Than you are. And more sophisticated than any of your L.A. And, it, you know, you look at the Midwest and you look at the South, there's some good old... Rich folks. Solid richies. Who now call Chanel, and Chanel sends the entire line, the new yeah. line, to Nashville so that they can peruse it and buy it. You see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So that was, there's been a turnabout with that, you know. But now, due to all this success of fashion and country and music, country music and all that, Everybody's trying to come here. So now all these L.A. people that are already saturated in L.A., well, we'll just go to Nashville because that's an easy place to make it. So they're all coming here, and then they're, like, sharing condos or whatever so they can, like, be by city. And how about the other aspect of the business, not the shopping, but your agents? A lot of stylists and makeup artists. I know. You never had an agent. Mm -mm. But me... Having to deal with agents, yeah. you know, it just it just it just seems like a middleman on that on, it is. for this part of the deal. The, the the agents usually get what 15, 20%? Oh, more than that. Oh, they do. Mm-hmm. So say say you're they get a new thirty percent on both ends from the from the client mm-hmm. and the stylist. Mm-hmm. That's cray a z. They're making now, buys. and see that's what those are the things that people don't understand and like. Say a new stylist comes in, but one of one of the two of the one thousand that come here to try to make it, and they get in, and they are like, "Oh, but you have to have an agent." Then they're sitting there going, "Wow, I'm getting forty percent of the of the fee 
because they're taking 60 of it. You know, don't, don't do your research well, getting, about no, what you're doing. The agent is charging the client, client and the stylist. So that's 30% on both ends. 30% they're getting 60 yeah. off the client, but only 30 off the stylist. Or whatever. 30 and 30. 30 and 30, yeah. Or, or more, or less. It just depends. But it's usually around 30, 25, 30. So again, kids, there's a lot of research to be done in any any job you want to do or take. But, you know, Trish is, Trish is really, like she said, 20 years ago, no one, you know, the demographic wasn't there. Five people were doing this. Five people. Now how many would you say are in Nashville? Well, because they're in Nashville, they're from L.A. and they're from New York. Atlanta's trying to come up and get business here. You know, it's the thing. And let's let's remember, it works in the hair and makeup field, too. It's just one way to say, look at a wedding. How many people used to get their hair and makeup done for a wedding? You don't do a wedding now unless you get hair and makeup done. That's right. So I'm just saying, now everybody that's just more, not just artists. Everyone. But, you know, I've been doing, you know, I've had friends. I don't charge my friends for weddings. It's like, oh, my God, I just, it's hard to do. I'll help them. But, you know, now everybody wants to be styled, hip to toe. Do you think that's because of people like the Kardashians or because of what you did for Carrie Underwood? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, everybody wants, no, because there's more media now. And, I mean, that, yeah. I'm not talking about just stars. I'm talking about your own media in your own world. Yeah, it's gone nuts. It's gone nuts. You know what I'm saying? It's like your Insty or all these things yeah. that you're doing, chats and Facebook and all this stuff. You want to look great. And if you just keep taking pictures of yourself and you look like shit and everybody else is looking like a rock star and they're still, they're just the girl that works next door to you. I mean, you can, people are learning how to YouTube, how to put on makeup. There's YouTube stars now that teach people. You know, one of the, the better um, segments on the Today Show was when they do those makeovers, yeah. ambush makeovers. Mm-hmm. People love to see somebody to their best potential. Mm-hmm. And it might not be what they do every day, but, man, there's nothing like capturing that person for that moment, you know? Right. And so if it is a wedding, you know, it's like people take all this stuff so much more seriously because there's more pictures. There's more ways to post. There's more people posting. It's like... Back in the day when we went to weddings, you had your little camera with a flash on it, and nobody saw those pictures ever. Mm-mm. Now, They're everybody instant. has a camera, and it goes viral, and you want to look great. Yeah. It's just, you know, that's that's our vanity at its best. Right. So going back to wrapping this up on if you had three pieces of advice you would give someone um, after you've had this you still have, but I mean, you have a successful career doing what you do. Two or three, you know, pieces of advice. It doesn't have to be even about styling. Well, it has to be about, you know, whatever. Be prepared to struggle. You know, I lived, when I changed, you know, going from the bank into fashion was a big change. I literally, I, I had a friend who had a, she lived in like a cabin, and she had this walk-in closet with almost a plastic bathroom on it. I mean, it had like a little shower. It's a cabin. And, I, and back then, we didn't have cell phones. You know, there was no way to promote yourself other than just 
hang out and be and talk. And I asked her if I could live. I moved from my apartment, put my stuff in storage, and lived with, in a sleeping bag in that walk-in closet. And paid her like $150, $200 to have a phone, bathroom, shower, and a place to sleep. Place to park my car. And I so the sacrifices to get to where you six want. Six months or more just to save a little money and really figure out if this is, because, you know, it's hard. I've also made those mistakes. You put all this money in something and it blows up and it doesn't work. And you're like, oh, that was a bummer. Start small, grow big. Yeah. Because uh, I've made that mistake several times. Starting big and eating it. And then I think it's better to just really sink your teeth into it, munch on it a little bit, see if it's something you really want to take a bite out of. And then when you want to take the bite out of it, go for it all the way. And be prepared to go and market yourself. You know, I, I never had to market myself. I just, it was in such a small community and there just wasn't that many people doing it. They were just looking for somebody to fill the slot. I was a slot filler at the time. Now we need to see your recommendations and your lookbook and we need to, you know, talk to your agent. I mean, there's so much more about it other than right. just, you know, interviewing and getting a job. Now you got to, like, put together a book on what you think they should wear. And it's like, wow, how do you do that without meeting them? How do you not? I won't dare style somebody without listening to their music. Right. Don't you dare ask me to put some looks together for you as an artist if I can't hear your music. Because what's the point? It all has to go hand in hand. None of it makes sense without the music. Because that's what it's all about, people. Starts with the music. The rest of it's just accessories. Whether it's PR, whether it's how the label markets you, whether it's the clothing, the hair, the makeup, it all starts with the music. And we've lost sight of that. And I think that's so sad. I agree with you on that. Yeah, I need I to, to wrap around. this thing up, don't I? <laughs> Well, kids, I, I need to cross stitch that onto a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you guys, Trish is cool. Go look her up. I'm so glad we had this conversation with her. But I hope I didn't offend anybody. No! Tiki! On cue! Well, listen, thanks, guys, and we'll see you next time on Hi, How you doing? Hi,